Alright, if you're seeing this in your feed, you're probably thinking, what the hell? It's not the normal release date. Well, we got a bonus episode for everyone. This week we're talking with David Erdman, who is an accomplished divorce lawyer in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. Um, actually, also found out he worked on the Watergate scandal as a staffer in law school. So, like, wow. Um, but, yeah, we talked with him about his new book, The Ten Commandments of Marriage, The Secrets from a Divorce Lawyer. Uh, weirdly a book from a divorce lawyer about how to avoid divorce so really interesting guy to listen to and just hear about some of his experiences coming through and what shaped him to write this book really glad that we got the time to sit down with him uh next week we will be reviewing the exorcism of emily rose one of the few courtroom horror movies uh really excited to do that because it will be the end of spooky season but for now please enjoy our interview with david Ehrman, and we will see you next week all right, we're very uh, excited to bring on a very special guest, David Erdman, practicing lawyer out of the Charlotte, North Carolina area. Um, but he's not just a lawyer, he's also an author. He has written a book, The Ten Commandments of Marriage, The Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer. Do I have that correct? That's the name of it, The Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer, Ten Commandments of Marriage. So uh, I guess you can probably guess uh, you are a divorce lawyer. You work primarily in f- family law, it sounds like. Um and I was looking through some of your, just like your bio on your website, I saw you were an engineering major. So what steered you to do engineering and then switch over to family law? Well, you're nice to ask. Um, <laughs> engineering is hard. <laughs> and I got through the degree, and I'm proud that I got through the degree, but what I learned in engineering school was to think creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and think of solutions to problems that hadn't been solved. And I wanted to take that somewhere in a more human-to-human uh, format than engineering design. And so I picked law school. And I thought for a while I might be some sort of a patent lawyer. And the, the, inter- the, the intellectual property law yeah. firms were interested in me. Oh, I'm sure but, that's a big area for the and for people who don't know when you go to law school, if you have like some sort of technical or engineering degree, like the path that is normally kind of set out for you is to be a patent lawyer because you have to have all this other background knowledge like you would have with an engineering degree. Well, I just decided that I would rather um, deal with people. And, <laughs> sure. um, and, and that has, has been where my law practice has gone. And, and uh, it's, uh, by the way, I am a divorce lawyer. But I'm happy whenever people save their marriages. It's not, I'm not, I'm emphatically, and I've been career long this way, not in the business of breaking up marriages. If it's going to happen, then it ought to happen in the least injurious way. For sure. That's what I've championed. Yeah, and you know, that's a... That, that's like an interesting take. I think most people would think for a divorce lawyer, like, wait, you you work in divorce, but you don't want the decision to ultimately be divorced. But I think it's a healthy way to look at it for sure. And with your book that you've written, was there some sort of like common issue you were seeing or one key experience that you had that led you to kind of start this book? I've been thinking about what has gone wrong Mm-hmm. in literally 5,000 marriages that I've had some involvement with. I'm not saying I've had 5,000 cases, 
But the way I work is I have initial consultations with clients. Mm -hmm. And I have had more than 5,000 initial consultations. And a third of those people just needed to know the law and how it applied to their situation. And, and they maybe went home and had a happy marriage. And I hope they did. And, and, and another third decided not to hire me or I don't know what happened to them. And maybe the last third hired me. But because I have had over 5,000 initial consultations, including one today already, uh, I've seen what goes wrong in marriages. And we all know the usual suspects, which are adultery, mm -hmm. uh, probably number one as a, as a worry. There are other concerns. Uh, domestic violence is an awful one, of course. Yeah, that's yeah, the and, worst case. And, and, um, but, but fundamentally, the overall failure of marriages is due to a falling out of equality between two people. And, and it happens, and I talk about this because it can happen. Let me, let me cite an example, if I may. The most well-meaning couple in the world decides that the wife or the husband, let's make it the wife, will go to law school. And the point of sending the wife to law school is that the two of them will benefit together from presumably this woman lawyer's great career. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and the husband, in this instance, says, look, I'll support you. You're not going to have to worry about paying the bills. You're not going to have to worry about even filling the gas tank. I'll take care of all that. Well, what happens is that spouse at home, even if they're working in their own job, while the other person's in law school, that spouse becomes almost like a, I believe the word is a valet, a servant mm -hmm. to, to the student. And again, it all makes sense. But they fall out of equality. And when that lawyer graduates, in this case, a woman, she's accustomed to being treated like the like a master over a servant. I call that the master servant syndrome. And they've fallen out of equality. And I saw this a lot when I was in law school. Even even when I went to law school, I saw I saw wives or husbands supporting their spouse to let them work all the time be a law student and then their marriage broke up because they had fallen completely out of an equal expectation from each mm -hmm. other um so the, that that right from the beginning i saw that equality in a marriage is mighty important yeah and i noticed um on your book it mentioned that one of the uh the situations you like to work the most for is a win-win situation which is not something that most people would think of when you think of divorce you think either it's going to be a win-lose or it's going to be a lose-lose because -lose both sides are going to leave angry because they had to give up something. So what, what is your, uh, like, what is the win-win situation that you like to see the most? And what is maybe that situation that people should be working towards always in their marriage well, or no, divorce? Obviously the win-win is that they have a happy marriage and that they keep their family together. So I'm, I'm putting that as the highest mm -hmm. aspiration. And, and by the way, I want to add, just because somebody is having trouble in their marriage and even comes to see me as a lawyer, that doesn't necessarily portend that they will get divorced because we talk through a lot. And sometimes I can coach them up to get back to an equal marriage. But let me give you a win-win from this very day. Sure. Um, I'm not going to mention any client's names ever. I haven't in, in the book. And all of the illustrations of stories I've seen and heard are adequately 
disguise that no client would even look at and say, well, that's me. But just today, a client was in my office who's got pretty good money. He owns a lot of property. And it's a man. And he's uh, concerned about um, supporting his wife on alimony. Of course, I said, is this marriage really on the rocks? And he said, yeah, it's on the rocks. I'm not so sure about that, by the way, <laughs> based on experience. But, but he doesn't want to pay alimony. And I said, well, you know, there's a way to do this. You're going to have to give her half the property anyway. Mm-hmm. Give the woman income producing property and she will have an income equal to what you might have paid as alimony. So you get what you want. You're not paying any alimony. Yes, you've given up half your property, but that was going to happen anyway. Yeah. Um, she will get the income from these income producing assets. And if it all works, if the math works, you won't be paying any alimony. He liked that a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, just like you said, like creative sort of solutions where both parties can leave with some sort of happiness and what you can. Obviously, the ultimate goal being that they don't even have to go through with the divorce. Um, I saw another thing that you mentioned uh, in your book about creating an outline for a successful marriage. Is that something like to address problems before they even like come out like nipping something in the bud? Or is it something that is addressed once you see that first problem? Well, well, the, the, it's called the Ten Commandments of Marriage, Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer. So that kind of reminds me of the Ninth Commandment. The Ninth Commandment is, thou shalt learn to resolve differences. And that means learning how to have your disagreements and not have that disagreement explode, explode, explode into the breakup of the marriage. So the ground rules, of course, are to listen to each other. That's not a surprise and not even a secret, but it's also important. I do caution people to restrain their words because the really searing words that they might say in anger will be quoted back to them over and over again. You Mm -hmm. said this mean thing about me and you can't tell me you didn't mean it because you said it. And not only that, if they end up in court, those same words will be said again. It's on the record. Then, yeah. About me. And so, so um, I, uh, I would caution people to restrain their words. But I also, the 10th commandment is thou shalt apologize and forgive. And so the way to get out of the problem that they've created in that big argument that we're hypothesizing is there needs to be an apology hmm. and there needs to be forgiveness. And I'll tell you, one of my favorite, you like movies. You like to talk about <laughs> movies. Well, think about the movie, The American President. In that okay, movie, yeah. In that movie, the president deeply hurts the gal that he's um, dating and breaks up with her. And then he realizes he's made a big mistake. and so. He's talking, I can't remember if he's in the Oval Office in the movie, but he's talking to one of his aides. And he says, you know, I've got to get her back. And the aide says, well, sir, he is the president after all, sir, how are you going to do it? And he says in the movie, I'm sure 
groveling will be involved. <laughs> and so I, I think that's right. Every once in a while, that's the apology. That needs yeah, and that can be the hardest part for a lot of people is like eating your own words and, you know, showing some contrition. But well, I like that word contrition. And, <laughs> and sometimes we do have to eat our own words. And if it levels matters out and life goes on and the marriage is saved, it was the right move. And by the way, even if the marriage isn't saved, being honest about the people's feelings. A marriage is not a good place to be less than honest about how a person feels in the marriage. Now, they, they may be kind of out of bounds in what they feel, and the other person may have to kind of take it with a grain of salt, but knowing how somebody really feels is the only way to deal with that person and try to make things work. So it's it, marriage is not a good place to be fake. And you were mentioning kind of like the, the main causes that you see for marriage and, you know, the ones that come to everyone's minds are, uh, you know, infidelity and in the uh, most extreme cases, domestic violence. Are there some sort of like common causes that you've seen that might be the start of something that you need to address whether it's, you know, something very small that you have highlighted in your book or in your research for this book? You know, I don't know that this answers your question directly, but there, the number one argument in a lot of marriages is over money. How shall we spend our money? Because one spouse may say, well, this is not the way to be, but may say, well, I'm the one earning all the money, so I get to decide how to spend the money. And that's right off the bat, creating an inequality. Mm-hmm. They're not on the same plane. They need to talk about money realistically because uh, sometimes uh, one wants to buy sort of a toy and the other has in mind something that the family or children need in the home. Mm-hmm. And so arguments and also sense the sense of equality, inequality, and the sense of not being listened to. Uh, arises over perhaps the issue of how to spend money. And I would say that money is a larger, is a more common problem than infidelity because people tend to be faithful in their marriages. I'm glad they do. The great, I think the great majority are faithful in their marriages, but that doesn't mean they don't have arguments about money. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I would bet that definitely is like the biggest uh, argument that you do see. So moving away from the the book itself a little bit and onto the man who wrote it, um, I was looking through some of your bio here. I saw that you you own your own or run your own firm. You're the tenth time uh, legal elite in the field of family law. You're just not giving anyone else a chance. It seems like to give you any competition. Uh, you serve on the city council. You do public speaking. How do you manage that all? I mean, like. Uh, especially like when we're talking about marriage and stuff, like how do you take time to focus on your personal life and your relationships uh, along with having such a, such a busy plate, it seems like. Well, to clarify, I'm a former member of the Charlotte city council. So I'm not, if I had that burden, it would be uh, still, that's (laughs) extremely time consuming. I bet. Uh, Extremely time consuming. Um, I, um, I'm a happily married man. 37 years married to my only and first wife. Congratulations. Um, 
I, I'm grateful for that and thank you for your uh, kind words. Um, I go home when I when our kids were young, I made sure that I did everything in my power to make up for the time that I wasn't there during the day to spend time with the kids. So right off the bat, I wanted to be a an equal parent and I worked to be an equal parent. Um, uh, I my kids are grown now, so I don't have that responsibility. My wife and I do things together as soon as I get out of the office every day. And um, when I was a younger lawyer, as you might picture, I really had to work 12 and 15 hour days. Um, at this point, I can work an eight hour day and spend time with her. Plus, I had time to write that book over the last year or so. <laughs> For sure, yes. Uh, so, and, you know, being a divorce attorney yourself, like you see people when they're at, you know, some of their lowest of lows or worst of their worst when they're talking about divorce. So how do you not let that like affect you mentally when you're going home to your personal life? Is there a separation or is there something that you do or, and cause not even just in divorce law, but a lot of people I'm sure out there have stressful jobs and that is something that then can affect the personal life. I, uh, as for myself and also as for, I talk about a cup of particular high-powered executive, without mentioning this person's name in my book, he's, he commands a massive corporate empire. But when he goes home, he's equal to his wife, mm. or else there'll be trouble in paradise. And so I picture this person who has a long and happy marriage uh, as decompressing in the car, driving home from being the master of all that he sees at work to being just a husband at home. And I'm not the master of any big operation <laughs> at work, but I do put aside work and I'm not going to go home and complain to my wife about how my day was. I'm going to go home and ask how her day was. Very nice. Very nice. Love that. And, uh, I also was looking at, I saw that this isn't your only book. You've wrote, written another book too. I think it's on its third edition that I see. Yes. Yeah, so I, it looks like you've also written about, uh, you've done some historian work in the same time. Now that is a, that is an interest of mine that continues and does take up time. I'm a, I'm a, uh, people, people could decide where I rank among local <laughs> historians, but I think I'd be on most everybody's top five list. And so uh, I am a, I am very interested in history, and it has nothing to do with my legal work. In fact, if anything, it has more to do with my engineering degree, because mm. I'm sort of, sort of, my style of writing about history is sort of an engineer looks at history. Because if you, if you think about a, a place in America, and Detroit comes to mind, obviously what Henry Ford brought to the Rouge River off the lake there in Detroit built a worldwide empire. Um, in, 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 in Charlotte, uh, where I live, uh, the, the cotton fields became cotton mills. And those cotton mills brought together uh, magnates who created big banks. And so as a result, you know, Bank of America is based in Charlotte. And it can trace its roots back to the cotton fields. 
Uh, so that's something I'm really interested in. Um, most people, when they read my biography, and I don't even remember if I put it in this book, <laughs> that I was an investigator on the Watergate committee. That was going to be one of my next questions. So I was All like, right. hold on, you were, you were a staffer on Watergate. So you got to give me your history take on that. I will. I was a, <laughs> I was a 24-year-old Georgetown University law student, and the Watergate committee was formed. And what they had a surplus of was great lawyers. I was just a law student. But they were short on computer people because it was very early in the yeah. era of computers. And in fact, in fact, the, the Watergate investigation has the reputation, and I, as far as I know, it's an accurate representation, that the first time in history that a complete encyclopedia of testimony was computerized so that they oh. could search for particular names and dates through innumerable different witnesses' testimonies. Mm -hmm. I wasn't in charge of that part of the of the computer work. I was in, I was involved with campaign finance computer work. Who was donating money? Oh, okay. But but Watergate investigation set a new standard for how evidence is collected and analyzed. Which of course we now search our word documents. Oh, yeah. Thoughtlessly every day <laughs> to find a, a, key, a key phrase. But that was novel on the Watergate committee. And I was hired because of my engineering degree, probably 80% and 20% because I was in the law field. Because mm, you said it was like the first time using computers. So you like had that technical know how. I was. That'd be. I was yeah. That right. had to be nuts to be, I mean, to be just a law student and be able to work on the Watergate scandal. Um, I, all, all, everybody who worked on the Watergate staff was very mindful of the, of the importance of what was happening. I'm not saying the importance of any one of us, but the importance of having a, 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 a truthful and full investigation wherever it led. Um, and I, and I was, of course, as a 24 year old law student at the bottom of the <laughs> pyramid, but I was privileged to be there. Yeah, for sure. Did that have any sort of like lasting like lessons or effects on the way that you approached your practice then after being on the uh, on the working on the Watergate uh, it's, it's, affair? Thank you for asking. It has made me um, a determined investigator. Mm -hmm. this, about a week ago, I was furnished um, in a discovery, which means a subpoenaed from the other side in a case. Mm -hmm. of some telephone records and it constitutes maybe 15,000 um, texts and phone calls. We don't have the, we don't have the content of the text and we don't have the content of the phone calls, but we have the phone numbers. So that's something I throw onto an Excel spreadsheet, sort by number, and find out who's been calling a lot. And that leads us to other witnesses. So, so crazy how much, how much easier that is nowadays, I'm sure, with all that. A lot of what I did by hand is now sortable. <laughs> and has, has the, um, the whole practice, uh, another question I had uh, with that, with the changing of times and just the changing of generations, are there new considerations that you've had to uh, anticipate for in divorce and family law, like it's no longer, you know, 
a, a, there's new considerations or there's new arguments or there's there's new points of contention between couples that we weren't seeing in the past or new th- areas of uh, concern. Well, th- this won't come to us as a surprise to any of your listeners, but Facebook and and uh, social media changed, expanded the secretive opportunities for people to communicate uh, with somebody yeah. outside the marriage. Yeah, and, that's true. And, and whereas for decades, high school reunions were the number one place where old flames got rekindled. Now <laughs> it's Facebook where old flames <laughs> get rekindled. And so, so we want to know if we're investigating who people have been in touch with on Facebook uh, or other social media, texts, obviously texts are big oh i'm sure i'm sure so and i'm sure that played into the book too like you mentioned just like the outline of like being honest and now there's all these new avenues and new ways that people can communicate and get in contact and so it goes into that that honesty and uh equal balance of power where you're open with your partner about you know who whom you're speaking to because it could be anyone at this point you know disclosure pretty much diffuses illicit communications but any secret that exists between a spouse that's material to their relationship um, is damaging to their relationship for sure and and the and the best the, 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 the what i'd say in the book what i say in the book is if 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 if, if you have a in a, a sentiment an emotion to want to get in touch with somebody outside the marriage, go ahead and tell your other spouse. They'll put a stop to it and see. <laughs> For sure. And uh, so you kind of already mentioned it uh, early on when we were talking here, but you're a divorce lawyer who wants people to avoid ultimately, you know, getting to that point. So what was what was kind of the mindset you had when you were writing this book and you were like, I'm writing a book on how you should shouldn't get to the point where you need to call me as a lawyer. Like, I want you to never actually use my services. Well, I'll tell you what motivated me and has motivated me more than more than the money that people fight about. It's what happens to the children. Mm-hmm. It's my belief, basically, that children of any age, children of divorce, their parents are divorced, Almost at no age do they ever really understand why their parents could not make it together. Occasionally, the kids will say, no, I couldn't have stayed married to that person either. When they see horrible drug addiction intractable mm-hmm. or, or, or some other very, very difficult circumstance. But fundamentally, the children have been at the center of my passion about being a lawyer and the good news is that that's a focal point that most of my clients even in contentious disputes with their spouse can agree with me that taking care of the children is 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 a high and important purpose so that tends to lessen the fight level and make people more collaborative 
and and somewhat more cooperative and indeed somewhat more likely to say i'm going to go back and try to work on this marriage because because the children of divorce get neglected Mm -hmm. yeah no that definitely is like the toughest part of any divorce for sure uh and with this book you know obviously you would think when you're seeing this book uh most people would look at that and see that book as something that they would buy maybe when their marriage is not going so well, like when they're looking for help in their marriage. So what would be kind of your selling point that even if you are in a a healthy relationship with your partner, what would be your pitch on why this is still something that you should read or uh, consider? Well, I'm going to pitch in a different place. (laughs) I think the people who need to read this book, most of all, are those who are considering getting married. Oh, okay. So before, okay. I think they need to find out what's wrong with premarital agreements. <laughs> and they need to be mindful of how inequalities creep into marriages. So if people have, have a successful marriage, I'm not going to presume to tell them that I know something they don't know <laughs> whether they need that. However, if one of the people in the marriage is just kind of selfish and unreasonable, then the, the victim of that ought to get them this book and say, <laughs> read this book. So those are the two categories, people who are troubled and people who are thinking of getting married. And I believe if the ones thinking of getting married would look at this. Uh, and by the way, I do know for a fact that there are some, some marriage counselor types, at least in this town, uh, and ministers who are who are telling people to get my book because That's they good. believe that it uh, can. I'm talking about premarital counseling. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, it's like yep. Um, and and um, and I I do pitch that, but no. If if they're doing well, I'm I'm saying let's not mess with what's working. <laughs> Just keep doing what you're doing. Perfect. Well, I mean, you you probably do have some good tips because you said 37 years. That's that's a pretty good record there. Um, is there any small little tips you'd give for a successful marriage throughout the years? Um, I, 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 you know what a yin yang symbol looks like? Yes. The, the balance. I, I, it's balance. It's balance, but a little, a, a little, um, and I have a different take on yin yang. Um, the way I view it is the, I'm seeing if I can find my diagram in the book. The way I view a yin-yang is that the large part of the two um, interspaced half circles, the large part represents the the strengths of one spouse. And the large part of that one represents their strengths. And the narrow tail sort of represents their weaknesses. Let's say somebody's not good in math or not good in finance. And the other one's really good on numbers. Well, that's a strength for one, a weakness for the other. The yin-yang, they fit together. They compensate for each other's um, blind spots or shortcomings, uh, weaknesses. And, um, and that makes a strong partnership. And a, and a strong partnership can go a long way in this world. Very nice. Uh, so then just moving to my last question, we'll get away from... Uh... So the divorce law sort of questions. As we kind of mentioned before we started on the episode here, this is a podcast about 
legal movies in particular. So if I were to ask you, what are maybe your top, I'll say three legal movies that you would say everyone needs to watch, maybe to better understand lawyers or just to have a good time, what would be some of your top picks? You know, I, I, well, definitely My Cousin Benny. For and, sure. and I think most people who've seen My Cousin Benny enjoy aspects of it. And in mm-hmm. fact, an aspect aside from how expertly the, uh, the girlfriend testifies about the, the, <laughs> it's one of the best parts the, yeah. about the Oldsmobile. Um, the, there's an interesting lawyer circumstance in that movie where the very smart, uh, lawyer that, um, the defendant initially has yeah. gets up in court and is not able to speak. He, he betrays at that point, a speech impediment. And, 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 you know, God bless him. And he portrays it very, very well. Mm-hmm. But Vinny comes in, he can talk. <laughs> and, and, and that's something that somebody looking at a lawyer needs to question. Like they could even ask me, how are you in court? <laughs> well, fortunately, it's about like this. So, uh, uh, but, but that's something that, to learn from. The movie The Verdict had oh, I love that um, movie. some influence on me. Because in that movie, and I don't remember the exact, Paul Newman's in that movie, mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact amount of money that they offered him to settle the case. But yeah. he, he very astutely, so let me pick the number $210,000. I, think, I, don't I think you're right. I think it's around $200,000 they offer okay. him as a settlement. Well, in that case, the offer was two hundred and ten, because what he did was he looked at the offer, just like I'm looking at this piece of paper, and he said, oh, my goodness, they gave me not two hundred, but two hundred and ten, because they know that's evenly divisible by three. Mm-hmm. So I can tell that my fee out of that two hundred and ten, this is the lawyer talking in the movie, yep. would be one third or seventy thousand dollars. And this well, is in like I the seventies, I think, too, when he's getting offered this money, too. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, I don't remember what the verdict turns out to be, but in a real life case in my life, uh, back when I used to do a few automobile accident cases, mm-hmm. um, I was very, very mindful <laughs> of insurance companies that would offer numbers which were <laughs> even multiples of three. Uh-huh. And the most clever numbers that they offer are 36,000 or 360,000 because it, they don't know if my fee is a fourth or a third, but they know <laughs> I can do the math either way. Yeah. In my head. It's funny. And, and by the way, I turned down those offers because, <laughs> because I know that they're trying to get to the lawyer rather than trying to do right by the client. Exactly. They're just like, they're looking at see like he can see the payday. So maybe they'll just take it. Uh, you're, Exactly right. Exactly correct. And then, then obviously, movies like War of the Roses, which which portray horrible, horrible uh, domestic fights. Um, I I imagine there were some clever quotes in there from from the lawyer that I that I was that I've internalized at some (laughs) point. But um, that's what you want to avoid Mm -hmm. um, in terms of in terms of, of, of going through a divorce. I, I, I tell people daily, um, this is, this, if you're fighting about money, 
don't spend more money than you're fighting about. The, 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 the value that is infinite is the children. There's no money value there. You don't trade mm-hmm. money for custody of children. You don't trade money for anything related to children. You do what's right for the children. Absolutely. And, um, and again, that's work to get some people to go back and work on their marriage because they, they've heard somebody like me who's older now, but it's been through a lot of marriages, other people's marriages, tell them, think about your children. And, uh, and, and, and by the way, what I talk about in the book, at the very least, you can predict that if you break up a marriage and you have children, you will only see your children one half as much as you've seen them before. That's, that's just sure. what it's going to be. Very true. Very true. Well, uh, I mean, I am love talking with you. I they had some great insights. Uh, I think it's really nice to see a, a divorce lawyer who's working to make sure that people don't need divorce lawyers at the end of the day. You're working to make sure that, that the parties remain happy. And if they do have to use you, it's something that is, like you said, that win-win situation. So I think that's, that's, that's really mention, great. Let me mention my book, if I may. It's the yes, absolutely. Where do we find it? Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer. Of course, it's on Amazon. And and by the way, it turns out after I wrote the book, I found out somebody else has got something called Ten Commandments of Marriage, but it's not labeled Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer. So that's like the mine. real one. And uh, that's the real one I want you to look for. <laughs> so thank you for the pleasure and privilege of, of being with you this afternoon. Absolutely. No, thank you. And like you said, uh, David Urban, Ten Commandments of Marriage, The Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer, you can find on Amazon or other retailers, I believe. Uh Go, please give it. I believe it's available in paperback and digital. So whichever way you want to read it, you can find yes. it yes. and give it a read. Um, whether you're, you know, in a long-term relationship, you're in a marriage, you're looking to get married. The biggest one, like you mentioned, because um, it definitely could help. David, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. the mother of my child I couldn't bear to hear those